Heavenly Father, you've promised that your word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire. It will succeed in the matter for which you have sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've noticed this, but um, I can't help but notice when I shop either in a store or online, the tremendous increase in voice-activated hardware and appliances. I mean, it's incredible. Not only are cars now becoming more and more voice-activated, but appliances in the home are as well. Uh, you can install a shower where you just tell the shower, turn on and tell it the temperature you want, and it'll turn on and it'll go to the temperature that you ask. Ceiling fans are voice activated. Ovens, stoves, windows and window blinds are voice activated. Even games, uh, there's a voice activated version of Monopoly, a board game. Now don't ask me how that works but it exists. I even saw an advertisement for a voice-activated trash can. Yeah, you say open and it opens. You say close and it closes. You can, you can tell it to stay open. It'll stay open for you. I hear that millennials are impressed with voice activation. Baby boomers, not so much. But millennials, yeah, they, really, they drive that market. <laughs> and you know, I was thinking about it. Um, what is voice activation anyway? It's not doing anything new. It's doing the same old thing, just in a new way, right? I mean, instead of using your hand to turn something on or to press a, a finger to press a button or turn a knob, you're doing it with your voice. That's the only difference. It's just a different way of doing the same old thing, a novel way. Now, I suppose if someone's physically challenged, it's a great help. But for the rest of us, eh, it's impressive, but it's really nothing new. But imagine this. Imagine if the human voice could do things that no amount of hands could ever do. Now that would be impressive. That would be miraculous. And that would be our gospel lesson for this morning. <laughs> Notice verse 31 on page 8. Jesus went down to Capernaum, and, you know, Luke is always accused of not getting his geography right. Some, uh, some so-called Bible critics like to uh, say that Luke uh, apparently lacks good geographical knowledge. Well, here he has great knowledge. He goes from where he was in Nazareth. Remember, they tried to kill him last week in his hometown. He goes down to Capernaum, which is lower in elevation by the Sea of Galilee, 
And he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching. And astonishment often accompanies Jesus wherever he goes. His words and his deeds astonish. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And that sounds redundant, an unclean demon. But in the ancient world, some demons were viewed as being good. Not in the Bible, but in pagan society. There were good demons and bad demons. Okay, Luke wants you to know, this is not a good demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And we'll see in just a moment, he rebukes a fever in the very same way. With a human voice. So, Roman numeral one in your sermon outline, page nine, the words of Jesus possess authority. Authority. And letter A, authority is the power that decides outcomes. It determines outcomes. Authority gets things done. Authority gets results. Letter B, it is the power that is proper to God alone and is given to whomever he wants. He shares his authority. He works through means. He works through people. He chooses to work that way. He can do directly, you know, but he chooses to do it immediately through others, most commonly. We see this in the temptation of our Lord, right, where uh, the devil says to our Lord, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he says, I'll give it all to you if you bow down and worship me, for the authority has been given to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. And for once, he's speaking the truth. And when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, you remember Pilate said, I have authority, don't you know I have authority to crucify you? And Jesus said, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you (laughs) from above, right? It's proper to God alone and he gives it to whomever he wants. And there's different kinds of power and there's probably more than I've listed here, these three types of power. But number one, there's charismatic power. This is someone who has a great personality, right? Uh, This is someone uh, whom you feel comfortable around, you feel comfortable following. Someone very likable, someone attractive, that's charisma. It's what we call charisma. There's also expert power or expert authority. That's when we we, we believe people who know. We, We believe people who have the experience that we don't have. We believe people who have a a bunch of degrees behind their name. They're interviewed on TV and we tend to believe what they say or take it seriously at least because of their learning. That's expert power. And then there is position power or position authority. God assigns people to various positions. Parents, for example, grandparents, teachers, 
pastors, police officers. Now, all of us have some experience with this. We have a position over someone else, at least temporarily. When you're raising children, that's the way it is. We have authority over children, thank God. They can't raise themselves. They need you. And you exercise that authority for the good of the child. Not for yourself, but for them, right? The Roman centurion said to Jesus, he said, oh, please, don't bother yourself. Don't, don't come. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. No, you just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, do this, and he does that. He understands authority. That's positional authority. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, Paul writes in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Slaves, obey your masters. This is right. We're all familiar, and we all at some point exercise positional authority. But then, lowercase b, there's authority over the forces of nature. Our Lord commands the wind and the waves. During that storm on the lake, when they're in the boat. See, that, that's exclusive to Jesus alone. That's not given to you or me. I can't tell the wind what to do. Neither can you. Thank God. <laughs> and then there's authority over illness. I mean, imagine speaking to a fever as if it were a person. And it responds. You know, that's, that, that's nothing you can do by turning a knob or flipping a switch. That's not duplication of something else that we're already doing. It's, it's something way beyond our ability. I remember when my mother became gravely ill and, and I developed a, a sympathy for those who were going through a similar experience and I would visit her in the hospital and, and I would see other people who were stricken with illness and I thought, oh God, if you gave me the ability to heal others, I would just go through the hospitals and I would, I would heal everyone. If, if you would just do that, I'll do it. Eventually, I learned that Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't heal everybody. In fact, if you wanted him to heal you, you had to ask. <laughs> he would seldom, if ever, go out of his way to do it. It wasn't his mission as important as it is. But he had authority over it. And then he had authority, lowercase d, over the spiritual realm, over the demons, the bad demons. We say in the Nicene Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible the spirit realm. According to Scripture, the spirit realm rules over the physical realm. But Jesus rules over the spiritual realm. He's over all power and authority. 
Roman numeral two, Jesus shares what he's given. He shares it with the apostles, this authority. He gives them authority over the demons, over illness, and authority to proclaim the gracious reign and rule of God. And then letter B, he gives authority to the 72 disciples. He says to them, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the devil. However, do not rejoice in that, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. That's the real miracle. You have a home in heaven. God did that. I will do that for you. Everything else passes away. That remains. Rejoice in that. And then, letter C, he shares his authority with his church. In Matthew 18, we, we read that Jesus gives the church, the body of believers, authority to discipline and, and to reconcile one another. In Matthew 28, he gives the church authority to make disciples of all nations, to exercise his gracious reign and rule over all the earth. That authority is given to us. It's a spiritual power. And then in John 20, he gives to the church the authority to forgive sins and to retain sins. The authority to open the door of heaven to believers and to close the door to the impenitent unbeliever as long as they do not repent. That's the power he gives to us. In Roman numeral three, his words, his words still possess authority. They still possess authority. Why do we believe in Genesis one and two? Why, why do we believe in the creation account? Is it because there's good scientific evidence for it? No. Oh, there is good scientific evidence for it, yes. But that's not why we believe it. Science constantly evolves. It's changing all the time. It never arrives at a final answer. Why do we believe that God made the world in six days? Why do we believe that he made Adam and Eve? Why? Because Jesus, who's the authority, by the way, Jesus taught it. <laughs> he believed the creation account. Have you not read that in the beginning, God made them male and female? He taught that. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's what Jesus taught. He believes the account. So, I'll listen to what other people say. I'll take it into account. But ultimately, who's my authority? You know, everything you believe, practically everything you believe, you believe on the basis of authority. You weren't there. You didn't see it. But someone else did. And you ask yourself, are they believable? Are they credible? If they are, you go with them the same with Jesus. We go with him. Why do we believe that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish? Can we prove that? No, but Jesus taught it. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, 
So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the tomb. He believed the account. I take it on his authority. His words still possess the power to persuade, to convince. Letter A, they convict. They convict us. You know, I, I love the account in John 4 where Jesus is speaking with the woman at the well and, and he says, go, go call your husband. <laughs> and she says, I have no husband. And what does he say? Very lovingly, he says, you're right in saying you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands and the man you live with now is not your husband. You've spoken correctly. <laughs> Very loving way of confronting her with her disobedience to God. His word still convicts. You know, un unless you repent, you will perish in the same way. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father and his holy angels. These words impact. They make you think. They bring about Repentance. Letter B. They save. They save. Jesus said, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And will, he will not be judged, but he's passed from death to life already. You've passed from death to life. Eternal life is yours now through faith in him. Letter C, they sanctify. They sanctify us. They set us apart. Jesus prayed, Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. It's the word that Jesus speaks, sets us apart. Backtracking for just a moment under convict, letter A. I wanted to say, look at the last paragraph of your gospel reading. When it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach elsewhere. This is why I came. They would prevent him from going away. They wanted to keep him for themselves, right? And, and that's so typical of us. We want to employ God for our own purposes. Hey, he's useful to us, right? He has this authority. We can get him to use it for our own agendas. That's the way we think when we encounter someone who's able to help. We want to fit him under our agenda. But no, he fits us under his agenda, see? I must go and preach elsewhere. I have bigger fish to fry. You're important, but you're not the only one who's important. I'm here for the sake of the world, to die for the world. He's not just my savior, he's our savior. His words convict. Letter D, they also persuade and they transform. They persuade and they transform. They transform people. His words transform civilization. Jesus elevated the status of children in the ancient world. 
Children didn't count. If you were the head of the family in a Roman household and a child's born, the father of the house decides whether that child lives or dies, whether he wants it or whether he says, throw it out. And they would throw out children all the time. Christians would pick up the children. They would adopt the children, raise them as believers in Christ. But Jesus elevated the status of children. Why, why would Christians adopt those children thrown away? Because Jesus taught, of such is the kingdom of heaven. These are the perfect model disciples. They're completely helpless and dependent upon me. That's the way we all are, but we grow up and we forget that. He elevates the status of children. He elevates the status of women through his words. He taught women. Other rabbis wouldn't, but he, they were equal disciples. He would use illustrations from, uh, pardon me, but from the world of women. He would, he would share parables that involved women as well as men. He took women seriously, and that elevated the status of women in the ancient world. It elevated the status of women in Western civilization. He elevated human life. Every human being, the, the one sheep that's lost is as valuable as the 99 who aren't. That's what he taught. And that's why Christians invented hospitals. That's why Christians invented orphanages. His words have authority to transform lives and civilizations. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. That's the idea of limited government. Separation of church and state. There's a limit on the, the government is not God. God is. And letter E, his words endure. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. His words remain. And, and that means, among other things, God has the last word. Yes, he convicts us through the, through the law. He shows us our sin through the law. But that's not the last word. It's simply a means to an end, to bring us to the cross. The law is our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith in the promises of God. The last word is a word of forgiveness. It is a word of mercy. Because that's who God is. He disciplines because he must. He's loving and merciful because he is. So I, I, in closing, I want you to think of yourself as the Lord's appliance, okay? His word activates faith in us. His words activate us to serve others in love as we've been served by him. His words activate us to forgive others as we have been forgiven by him. His words activate us to be reconciled one to another as he has reconciled all of us to himself. Think of yourself as the Lord's appliance set apart for his service. 
when he speaks, we respond in ways that help others and give glory to him. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, amen.